Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way and welcome once again. Uh, we are very happy to be back recording the View from the Clock End podcast. I'm joined, as always, by London's Chief Arsenal. Well? Yes, very good. What a time to be back. What a game to be back for. Uh, coming to you from, from Reach Towers today in, in central London, so apologies if there's any noise going on in the background, but uh, I think we all agree that we had to get it together for this game, uh, to talk about this game just uh, to revel in what was a, an amazing occasion yesterday. So definitely happy to be back for this one. Yeah, and we're hoping to be back uh, for the foreseeable as well as best we can, depending on scheduling, of course, with Arsenal in the Champions League. It's made things pretty difficult this season to try and nail down a regular slot to record these, but we're going to endeavour to do our best to, to do so. Um, but yes, as Kaya mentioned yesterday, Arsenal won Manchester City nil. I want to start kind of before the game actually kicked off, really, Kaya, because... Obviously, the news filtered through ahead of the lineup being officially announced that Bakaya Saka was not going to be involved in the squad. And to me, when that news hit, it kind of sucked a lot of the enthusiasm I had out of the game. And I felt like in the crowd as well, there was a, kind of a an admitted nervousness almost. And maybe that, that had sucked some of the, the energy out of things. How did you feel when you learned of the news? I think you're right in that observation. I, I compared the, the atmosphere before the game against City to the atmosphere before Spurs and the North London derby and of course it's Spurs and the atmosphere is always going to be amazing for Spurs but it did feel a little bit more subdued before and I wonder how much Bakayo Saka's injury had to play in that obviously it looked as though it was going to be a massive blow for Arsenal it was a massive blow for Arsenal even playing without Saka even though Arsenal won made the game a lot more difficult and Nicolas Arteta had been playing mind games with us all week saying the press conference he was in contention refusing to go into the specifics of it and then having Saka turn up with the squad in his match day kit. And I think everyone was like, whoa, he's he's going to be in the squad. And um, yeah, it turned out he was just staying with the team hotel, uh, at the team hotel. And those reports had come out earlier in the day. And yeah, it was it was, it was was a real blow for Arsenal. I think when, when people saw that, obviously Leandro Trossard not fully fit at the minute and Eddie Nketiah, sometimes the big games can be maybe, let's say, uh, a little bit flattering to receive. Not necessarily that he's um, someone that Mikel Arteta doesn't trust because clearly Arteta trusts him. But I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of question marks going into the game. Some people, like you say, feeling a little bit deflated going into the game, having seen that lineup. But it needn't have been because uh, we'll, we'll get on to later why. But uh, it worked out. It worked out all right for Arsenal in the end. But obviously, Saka being absent was a huge blow. Are you happy with the selection of Enketia and Jesus on the right and Trossard? Because you had Smith Rowe, you had Nelson. Uh, Vieira, of course, who came on for Saka in midweek as well. Were you happy with the selection that Arteta went with, even with the benefit of hindsight? Well, one man you didn't mention there is Kai Havertz as well, who I thought was a real option to play up front, just as he had done in the Community Shield against Manchester City. And obviously that worked to, to great effect in that game. I thought Havertz had a really good game against against City at Wembley and came on, obviously, late on to, to set up the winner. Um, I personally would have liked to have seen him. Maybe it's part of Arteta's game plan to have Eddie run himself into the ground for the first hour and then bring on Havertz towards the end I don't know maybe we can give him that credit because it worked out well in the end but yeah I, I personally would have rather have seen Havertz I know that Arsenal's options on the wings were relatively limited by the injuries to Saka and the lack of full fitness for Trossard and Martinelli it does seem as though he doesn't trust Reece Nelson to start just yet um, and Smith Rowe seems to be someone he views more as a central midfielder instead of a winger and I think we all agreed that Fabio Vieira on the right wing didn't quite go to plan against Lon so in the grand scheme of things, playing Gabriel Jesus on the right, I think, was the right call. And I thought Jesus had a really good game on the right wing. Personally, would have liked to have seen Kai Havertz playing up front instead of Eddie Nketiah, just because I feel like when City looked to press Arsenal high, those balls over the top 
Arsenal couldn't really make it stick and they didn't have much of a focal point up front, particularly in the first half. But listen, it's, it's semantics when Arsenal win a game and they play this well. So I think you have to you have to take the rough with us move a little bit on that one. I think I'll take you know, it on in the end. I, I like you, but have a such as my desired centre forward for this game. Um, surprised maybe uh, I slipped my mind actually as an option to play. I suppose that's because you know when it comes to a result like that, you forget everything you thought that you wanted before the game. Um, but certainly Havertz's uh, impact later on is something that we will discuss. The, the, the game started with City obviously getting that quick chance. De- Declan Rice heading off the line from Guardiola and then Nathan Ake missed probably sat City's best chance of the game, that opportunity he had where it kind of came across him and he skied it over. He has to really hit the target. It felt as though Arsenal were just trying to weather a bit of the storm at the beginning and then get a foothold in the game as they calmly pass. They calmly. It didn't feel too calm at times. Um, but there was clearly a induction to Mark Saxon that we just need to be able to beat him in the ball, perhaps it's not what I meant, but I mean, we do it in them into the game with their wide body Um Yeah, I thought Arsenal approached this game spot on. Um, they've tried in the past to go toe to toe with Manchester City, and it hasn't always worked out because maybe they lose concentration or they do something silly. And, and the game that really sprung to mind for me, at least, in terms of a comparison, was was the game on New Year's Day a couple of years ago, where Arsenal had as close to a full squad as, as they could get on that day and they really went blow for blow with Manchester City they really sort of they, they took the lead and I argued they were the best side on the day and they were deservedly in front and it was a really high quality game it was two teams sort of going at it hammering tongs and in the end obviously the penalty award was unlucky and Gabriel gets himself sent off probably foolishly even though it was a harsh second yellow and those kind of things, those kind of mistakes of the sort of slip-ups that Arsenal have had in the past. And it's, Arteta referenced this in his post-match press conference. It's it's very difficult to stick to your game plan against Manchester City because they present you with so many different things and so many ways of trying to, to unsettle you and, and, and to make you nervous. And everything you almost feel has to be perfect. And when you go into a, a, a game with that mindset, it obviously creates a, a level of stress that's very difficult to deal with. But, but Arsenal remained relatively composed you're right that those chances for Guardiola and, and Nathan Ake were quite scary early doors but that was half of the shots City had in the entire game in the opening five minutes there so I think that shows how well Arsenal recovered from what was a shaky start and I don't think David Raya I know he's obviously coming for a fair bit of praise from Mikel Arteta and he did recover later in the game I don't think he started the game particularly well and I saw Aaron Ramsdale chewing his fingernails on the, on the sidelines watching on but I think what Arsenal did really well was obviously they, they, they thrived off the atmosphere in the stadium. You can see Martin Erdegaard raising his arms, pumping the crowd, getting them going. But also, they didn't let that control them and, and overtake them as it has done in the past. And I think back to the Spurs game where I think they were a bit too emotional and they did get a bit too flustered in the situation, a bit too um, tangled up in, in, the, in the narrative of the game. Whereas in this game, they were able to to, to ride difficult moments but but not let it affect their, their game plan and they stuck with it and what really it really felt like a grown-up performance for Arsenal. I, I think, you know, when, when you're walking sort of through a park on a Sunday, you see sort of kids playing um, sort of Sunday league games, and loads of them attempt to just chase after the ball because they see the ball, they get excited, and they run straight after the ball, and everything goes out the window. But the ones who are the really good players and the ones who you can tell are going to make it when they start growing a bit older are the ones who hold their position despite the excitement, despite what everyone else is doing, everyone else has run over to the ball, but these the, the ones who are going to be good, they're the ones who hold their position and, and, and understand the spaces and 
Arteta made sure Arsenal did that really well. I think this is why he was so proud of his team and, and why he referred to um, Martinelli and, and, and Raya both having big ones, um, to, to put it mildly. Because Arsenal did have the, the big ones to be able to um, to stick to the game plan. And there were shaky moments early on. And I'd argue that the first 25 minutes or so, Arsenal really struggled to find their feet. But they were able to to ride that storm and, and then, then they went from there. And the game kind of played certainly out into Arsenal's hands. The longer it stayed goalless, you felt as though, you know, if there were a team that were going to nick a goal, it might be Arsenal because City kind of lacked that cutting edge in the attack. Haaland was not getting much joy at all. William Saliba was really keeping him quiet. Gabriel was doing a really good job as well physically. Alvarez, who I've been really impressed with this season, you know, wasn't able to get into the game as much as he would have liked. And in, in some ways, I was surprised that he decided not to start Doku, who's been really good at kind of breaking teams down and getting inside uh, fullbacks, especially with the fact that he would have been going up, you'd imagine, probably against Zinchenko on, on the right-hand side because, well, and we'll come on to the second half and the changes that Arsenal made, but it was interesting that when Doku came on not so long after, Tommy Asu came on and, and helped shut down that left-hand side for Arsenal, where then Doku switched over to the left-hand side to hope to get some joy, which Ben White didn't allow him because he had a really good game, Ben White overall as well, in the defence. And everyone kind of had to pull their weight and be on it. And we wasn't really able to to have too many performances, if any, that were slightly dipping under. There was only a couple, I thought, I agree with you about Raya in the first half. I thought a few question marks about that, but second half, I thought he was excellent. And the other player that I was a little bit underwhelmed by was, was Trossard on the left-hand side. I don't think he necessarily impacted the game as maybe much as, as we might hope, especially after the pre-season he had, where he looked so good. He's not necessarily been able to carry that into the season. And maybe that's because he wasn't starting games at the beginning of the campaign. So that momentum that maybe was built in the summer wasn't able to develop with Martinelli starting games but at half time Martinelli comes on um, from what we are told by Arteta was an, an injury actually to Trossard rather than a tactical decision but it, it did feel like that injection of pace and energy and dynamism did change things for Arsenal yeah I think we spoke about how cagey the game was from the start and that's because Manchester City did a lot of things that Arsenal had to react to and, and Arsenal did a lot of things that Manchester City had to react to City surprised everyone by sort of putting Bernardo Silva in the sixth role. Kovacic was slightly higher up. Rico Lewis was slightly higher up. Um, they tried to use the fullbacks to get a lot of width. So Guardiola and, and Walker were really, really wide, whereas they often come central. And Alvarez was shifted slightly out wide. And Phil Foden was almost playing as a second striker at times. And yeah, I don't think it quite worked in terms of the City game plan. And they, they struggled to create chances. But Arsenal weren't really doing much to create chances either. And you're right in the sense that Gabriel Martinelli just added that bit of um, drive, that bit of determination that sometimes you need to just to force these these games. And when when they're tightly locked, sometimes you can try and pick the lock with a little wire, or sometimes you can just try and blow the whole thing open. And that's what Gabriel Martinelli tried to do. From the first minutes he came on, he just brought a bit more uh, energy to the game. He was driving straight at Kyle Walker, and, and to be honest, I thought Kyle Walker defended him really well, and I thought he had his number for most of the game. Obviously, the goal at the end was was unfortunate, but. I think what Martinelli brought was just that little bit more belief for the Arsenal side, particularly in the final third, because we all saw they were defending superbly in the first half and, and they were restricting City to, to minimal chances, but they weren't quite carrying the threat in the final third that they needed to, to go on and win the game. Martinelli brought that when he came on the pitch and it was it was a real change, a real sea change for us. And I think City then also had to be a little bit more careful and they were maybe a bit more withdrawn in their attempts to go forward and try and win the game because they were fearful that if you leave this guy any space, as we saw late in the game, he'll try and shoot and he might even score. And, and, and Martinelli's directness 
is something Arsenal missed over the past few weeks. It's something where they've looked a little bit ponderous in attack on occasion. And I think Lange is a perfect example of where someone with just the sheer force of will to win a game like Gabriel Martinelli would have made a big difference. He made a huge difference in the second half at the, at the Emirates. I almost said the Etihad at the Emirates. Uh, and yeah, I think Mikel Arteta would have been very glad he had him to call upon because it seemed for a very long time like he wasn't going to be able to to make this one. And I think the Arsenal physios thought he wasn't going to be able to make this one. Mikel Arteta seems to think he wasn't going to be able to make this one. The only one who did was was Gabriel Martinelli. And, and you know, thank God from an Arsenal perspective that, that he was there. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously there were question marks over Saka um, before the Lawns game. He started that and obviously came off injured. And in this game, there were question marks over players like Partey and Martinelli. And instead of going the route of can these guys give us a half and then take them off or can these guys give us 60 minutes to take them off, we flipped the script and it was a case of let's start with the what we would describe as the depth options in, in Trossard and Jorginho and then bring on those players later on and kind of end stronger rather than starting stronger and then trying to manage the game towards the end with with changes for um, for what we look to be fitter and more ready players. And I thought that was a really good decision, obviously. It looks, it looks a great decision, the benefit of hindsight now, but it, it was a good decision for Arsenal and Arteta in particular to make the decision to go with the rotation, the, the people that are fit to start the game. Then as City tire somewhat uh, with the way in which Arsenal control things and pass them and ask them to to keep chasing them as they pass the ball around the back line and into the midfield they were able to bring on those fitter options in in Partey and Martinelli but also Havertz and Tomiyasu as well that change that was made um, in the second half with Havertz, Tomiyasu and, and Partey coming on it, it felt to me like it was a moment where Arteta smelt blood in a way in that this is a game that Arsenal can win it's not just a game that we can kind of see out and, and see if we can claim the point because City weren't necessarily creating too many clear opportunities, even with the changes that they made themselves in in Doku and Nunez coming on. Um, what did you make of of the combination of those four to to eventually grab the goal that would prove pivotal? Yeah, I think there's, there seems to be every time Arsenal play Manchester City or any team plays Manchester City, in fact, that you can be sort of going along at a, a decent pace, thinking you're doing quite well. Uh, you can run yourself into the ground and, and then you sort of around the 65th minute mark almost the exact same thing happens you sort of turn to their subs bench and here they are ready to bring on these three world-class players off the bench you can it's like running a marathon and then being told oh yeah by the way you're gonna have to run an extra 10 miles at the end that's what it feels like and for so long Arsenal haven't been able to deliver a counterpunch when City come up with something new and, and a new sort of way of swinging at you Doku, Nunez and uh, John Stones as a trio to introduce. What a trio to introduce. And it definitely, in, I think in times gone by, in games gone by, that might have been enough to swing the momentum in, in Manchester City's favour. But with this increased squad depth that Arsenal now have, they can counterpunch, they can fight back. And we saw that with the changes they made. Obviously, Gabriel Martinelli coming in at half-time was huge. But Thomas Partey, Kai Havertz and Takira Tomiyasu are three very, very good players of their own from an Arsenal perspective. And three players who... If they'd started this game, I don't think anyone really would have had any issues, maybe. So, obviously, all three combined, all four subs combined for the goal, and, and that was a nice, a nice bit of, um, a nice moment for Arteta, and he can come out looking like a genius from it. But for me, the, the big sort of single point from an Arsenal perspective is if you look at these two Premier League fixtures last season, Arsenal went into the home game without Gabriel Jesus and without um, Thomas Partey, and they couldn't cope. They, they couldn't deal without Gabriel Jesus. Eddie and Kenton missed a couple of really good chances and they struggled. The away game, obviously, they went into it without William Saliba and Rob Holding. The less we say about that performance, the better. 
Now they go into this game without players like Bakaya Saka. Gabriel Martinelli's not fully fit. Leandro Chossar's not fully fit. Thomas Partey's not fully fit. William Saliba's carrying an injury. Gabriel Magalhaes is carrying an injury. Um, plenty of other players who are absent. No Urien Timber, who was a massive player for Arsenal at the start of the season. Those kind of players being absent and suddenly Arsenal are able to cope because they've got those options and they can counterpunch and they've got a squad that's deep enough to compete in the Champions League. Admittedly, they lost on Tuesday, but it's big enough to compete in the Champions League and then come and play on the Sunday and play a massive game and come away with the result that they need. So Mikel Arteta clearly viewed this as, like you say, a 90-minute game rather than just trying to get the result in the first sort of hour or so and trying to get in front nice and early. He viewed this as a game plan where he was going to use his squad to the limit. It felt almost like a Champions League game with the sort of the, the nervousness rather than a Premier League game in terms of everything had to be right and every sort of inch was was micromanaged by Arteta. And I'm sure he likes those kind of games where you can really, really control every single minute aspect and his team really responded to that really, really well. Yeah, I feel as though he might be a big chess fan, Mr. Arteta, because he likes you know, <laughs> his strategy and things like that and micromanagement is certainly something that he seems to enjoy. Uh, I want to talk about kind of what, what this all means. The reason why I left that to the end and why I haven't discussed the other big, you know, and, and forgive the, uh, the quote, but the big red flag from this game. So, get up. Refereeing was the Kovacic situation. Um, and I wanted to leave that out of the analysis of the game because of Arsenal's performance overall. And I thought that, you know, I feel like maybe that that red card situation has detracted in some ways from from the game and could have been something that was used to point toward if Arsenal maybe hadn't have come away with the win, it would have been, well, Arsenal should have been playing against 10 men for the majority of the game. They weren't, but should they have? Yes, 100%. Um, in my opinion, the, the first tackle alone is enough to warrant a red card. I think that is very much endangering your opponent. I think it's a really, really nasty challenge. Then Marcel Erdegaard is lucky to come away from unscathed. And it's terrible technique in terms of the tackle from Matteo Kovacic. You're taught to slide, not with your studs up like that, where your foot goes up at the end of the tackle. You're taught to slide with your foot down so you can control the ball and ideally win it back. And he was late to the press. He missed time the tackle. He got very lucky that VAR didn't intervene. I think it was one of them where if, if Michael Oliver had given the red card initially, VAR wouldn't have overturned it. And just as Michael Oliver didn't give the red card initially, VAR wasn't going to overturn it. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. It was very much a, an orange card. But having done that, to then moments later go in and commit a tackle with equally poor technique, equally studs high, equally late on Declan Rice, that could equally have caused another massive injury to a really important Arsenal player. He was very, very lucky and, and Michael Oliver seemed to decide it immediately. And I wonder if maybe in retrospect, he'll look back on that and think, well, I wish I'd given myself a little bit more time just to maybe stew over the decision and, and think about all the implications and think about everything that was going on. I think as well, I spoke to someone in the press room at halftime who said, I think the, the proximity of the two fouls and them being so close together in terms of timing probably made a difference. So if Kovacic makes his first foul, in, let's say the fifth minute and then the second foul in the 45th minute, maybe they're giving us two separate yellows whereas maybe Michael Oliver felt a bit harsh giving the two yellows in such quick successions but they never were that before, right? <laughs> exactly. never given yellows in quick succession before exactly yeah. but objectively there were two yellow card tackles and, and Mateo Kovacic should have been off having said that though I think from an Arsenal perspective that would have taken away a lot of the significance of this win mm. I think it would have taken away the, the sense of sense of joy they've got today and the sense of achievement they've got today and the sense of overcoming a, 
a Manchester City sized barrier because they beat City without necessarily their best players on the pitch. They beat City um, regardless of any caveats. And I think everyone would have been saying, oh, but it's just 10 men. Arsenal beat City with 10 men um, and without Rodri and all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I think Arsenal can go, can go away into the international break and say, no, we beat City on equal terms. We were missing players. They were missing players. We had a stroke of luck go against us with Kovacic getting away with it. City had a stroke of luck to go against them with Ake's deflection. So these kind of things, fine margins decide these kind of games. Sometimes they go in your favour, sometimes they don't. And from an Arsenal perspective, I think they'll be frustrated that Kovacic wasn't sent off. But in the grand scheme of things, it probably worked out a little bit better for them in terms of narrative and the way Mikel Arteta can now use this as a driving force for them going forward. So, and that does move us quite nicely onto what this this does going into the break. I think this is probably, from memory, the most timely international break that I can remember from an Arsenal perspective because there are a few injury, you know, concerns or or rather fitness concerns might be a better way of putting it. Of course, Saka is injured and is out. Just to touch on him and the story regarding England still expecting him to 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 kind of turn up to the squad. I wrote about this in midweek with a kind of a very brash opinion piece on my thoughts about him being called up to the squad. But what do you make of the reports that he is still being expected, despite Arteta saying he, he's not ready to play football, that he's expected to join up? Yeah, he, he is expected to join up. Um, he's expected to report um, to St. George's Park for uh, England training. They will assess him there. And then once they've assessed him, they'll make a decision on whether they want to use him in the friendly against Australia and the qualifier against Italy. I wonder if Southgate will want Saka for that game against Italy where England can secure their qualification. I think he'll view that as a massive game that he doesn't think Saka can miss. The friendly against Australia, I think maybe he'll he'll view that as a game where maybe Saka can sit it out. Personally, I think there's no point in in risking Bakaya Saka in this game. And obviously Southgate will say, look, I only get these players for a few weeks a year. I need them. I need to try and win matches, and the pressure is on him. And, and if England don't win against Italy and, and they prolong their qualification to the Euros even longer, then obviously Southgate will come with a lot of pressure. And so I understand it from this perspective. Arsenal's position, when I spoke to some, some sources at the club last night, was that it was up to England now. It's, it's he, he is England's player, and it is their right to do as they please with him from basically the second he gets released by Arsenal. But as Mikel Arteta indicated in his post-match press conference, they were they were fully expectant that. Saka would be returned to Arsenal and, and Arteta maybe has, has manipulated the media quite cleverly there in, in the sense that he's put a lot of pressure on Gareth Southgate now to send Bukayo Saka back and it's the kind of thing that Sir Alex Ferguson used to do all the time with the England players when they were at Manchester United and I wonder if Arteta's taken a few lessons and learnt a few lessons having said that I'm still not certain that Saka will be sent back to, to Arsenal to be assessed Arsenal do have a very good relationship with England when it comes to these kind of things and Arteta doesn't normally stand in, in Gareth Southgate's way so maybe they'll want to think about the long-term implications, England that is, they'll want to think about the long-term implications of their relationship with Arsenal, particularly for a player as important as Saka. Um, Declan Rice will obviously be there, uh, Aaron Ramsdale will be there, Eddie Ketcher is there, and Raheem Sterling, for example, wasn't called up to the squad, so it's not as though England don't have any depth in the wide positions. They definitely can cope with that Bukayo Saka, I think, across these next two games. It's just up to Gareth Southgate to decide whether he feels that way. Yeah, uh... You're right in saying, you know, it's England's, he's England's player technically throughout this period, you know, and, and their decision whether or not they want to use it. I just, I just find it to me baffling that 
you know, the argument that he's been running to ground. And I get the hypocrisy in some ways that Arteta threw him into a game in Champions League after he had a knock and maybe you shouldn't have done. But he then took the decision to not play him in the biggest game of Arsenal's season because he felt that it wouldn't have been right to do so, to risk him, even though he admitted the temptation was obviously there. And so I think that therefore, by making that decision, but deciding not to to risk Saka, there is a big, big message being sent there to England to say, he wasn't ready to play what we feel was an imperative fixture for him and for us. So make the right call like we did and give him the necessary time away. And then you can come back to those fixtures that England have got in November next month. There's another international break. Then, of course, there'll be another one in March as well, ahead of the European Championships, which England should comfortably, with or without Saka, qualify for. Um, and, and it should be fine. But I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of baffling decisions when it comes to England selections for me and I'm sure for plenty of other people listening as well and, and probably for yourself as well, Kai. So maybe we shouldn't be too surprised at some of the picks um, for that. The other... Sorry, did you want to jump in? Just one thing to say on that. Um, from Gareth Southgate's perspective, the reason I think he's so reliant on Bakaya Saka is because he's clearly decided that he wants a left foot on, on the right wing. And, and if you look at the options England have beyond... Saka, they don't have that many. I would point to Phil Foden as a very good option as an alternative yeah. if, if needs be. But beyond that, there there aren't too many. And I think that's why maybe he feels that he has to keep calling Saka up and has to keep playing him in these games because he's trying to get something going in terms of a tactical rhythm. And Saka, I think, is integral to that. Whereas if, if Saka was right-footed and played on the left, I reckon we'd see Bukayo Saka rested. I don't think it would be too much of an issue. So I think that probably plays a part in it. Sorry, as well, I think that's a fair point. Uh, Jared Bowen is left-footed as well, you know, so and, and obviously, hopefully, that, that that will weather the storm in some ways, and, they, and I hope Southgate will feel that he can still trial and use that, but you're right in, in pointing out Foden would be an excellent alternative as well. Uh, William Saliba played the game with a therapeutic injection in his toe, I think it was. Uh, clearly, they work, because he was fantastic, um, but he's not been asked by France to, to join up with them. Um, it's not a concern, though, we're, we're aware. No, it's, it's it's not a serious injury. It's, from an Arsenal perspective, they've, they've, you know, people I've spoken to at the club have suggested it's, it's not too big an injury. It's it's an ongoing thing. It's something that Salibri's been managing for a while now. And if he's capable of putting performances like that with nine toes, imagine what he can do with ten. I mean, it's unreal. Um, William Salibri, I thought, was the best player on the pitch yesterday. I know some people gave it to, to Declan Rice, but I gave him my man of the match in the player ratings I thought he was absolutely outstanding it, it it felt like a day where he announced himself as the best centre-back in the Premier League and I know his partnership with Gabriel was a big part of that and I thought Gabriel was excellent too but William Saliba twice now has shown that he's delivered masterclasses at the house stop Erling, Str- Erling Haaland who for me is the best striker in, in the world not just in the Premier League so if you've got the best in the, in the world then you probably are one of the best in the world and I think France will probably be gutted that they don't have him but similar to the Bukayo Saka thing in a way France's depth at centre-back is, is unbelievable. They have so many good players to call upon in that position where maybe they felt, well, look, if he's not fully fit and he's not going to be able to start and, and play these games, let's let's leave him out for this one. We know what we can do. Well, we will call him up in November and see what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Obviously, the other two players that did play, um, Martinelli and... Say, Martinelli... Martinelli was... Um, I would assume he's going um, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't checked on that I'm sorry but um, I, I assume he's going if he's if he's up to sort of even a decent level of fitness 
He's a really important player for Ghana. He's their captain, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously, their best player. As far as I can't really name a, a better Ghanaian player. Maybe Mohamed could have something to say about that. But he's huge for the Ghanaian national team and, and they need him. And, you know, if he's called up, then I don't think Arteta will, will stand in his way too much. They'll just be maybe very careful about how they manage Partey's minutes because it, it's going to be a, a big, big deal for Arsenal trying to get him back fit because we saw how influential he was when he came on the pitch towards the end of the game. Yeah, um, we'll of course bring you any updates over the international break about the status of, of Arsenal's players. Um, but I just think that having these two weeks, if Saka should get at least some time to recover, uh, whether he plays or not, Martinelli is obviously going to be staying behind and working on his fitness, which is great. Saliba's going to be staying behind working on his fitness, which is great. And then we'll obviously follow the Partey situation. But even if he gets a few minutes for Ghana, in a way, that might help him to get back to full match fitness ahead of the game against Chelsea. So you can look at it in a positive way either way and to come back against Chelsea I think is, is a great opportunity again they've built up a couple of wins against Fulham and, and now Burnley and Arsenal and go to Stamford Bridge which has been a very you know favourable place for Arsenal in recent past to try and not only get three points for themselves but to curb any confidence that might be growing in, in West London um, let's talk about kind of the wider context of, of the result and what it means uh, for Arsenal in the Premier League we are now joint at the top of the table with some other team not quite sure who they are but they're also on 20 points uh, with Arsenal. I've really been baiting most of our Spurs supporting uh, colleagues with labelling them the luckiest team in the league. They came away from Luton with a very fortunate, I feel, at least 1-0 win. I don't know how Luton didn't score in that game just by going down to 10 men. Of course, Spurs losing Basuma and then I think it was Adebayo missed an open, practically an open goal on the left-hand side. Chelsea won, of course, as well. Manchester United with a very, very late win. Liverpool drawing. 2-2 uh, with Brighton and Newcastle as well dropping points at uh, West Ham and Aston Villa as well dropping points it's worth mentioning them in the fold for teams pushing for those European places where do you think this place is Arsenal then in the context of the Premier League as it stands? Um, I, I don't think it changes too much in the sense that Arsenal were in the title race with Manchester City regardless of, of what happened in, in the in the game obviously if City had won it would have made the title race a lot more difficult but Arsenal were, always had their eyes on, on the top prize in the Premier League this season, having come so close to it last season. And now they've obviously got a one-up over City. But I don't think you can ever rest on your laurels at the top of the Premier League in a Premier League where Manchester City exists. They've set such remarkable standards of consistency. And, and yes, they've lost a few games, but those have been without Rodri and Rodri will, will be back Sorry, after the international break. And that will make a huge, huge impact for Manchester City. And they'll be hoping that they can find a little bit more of that consistency that was there at the start of the season I was talking to some people who cover Manchester City regularly at the, uh, prior to the game and they were saying they'd not hit top form yet we all know what happened last season when they started the season and they hadn't hit top form yet and they went on a run I think it was from February until May and they won every single game so they do have that in their locker and that is the kind of thing that Arsenal are going to have to deal with when it comes to, to fending off that challenge as for Spurs <laughs> I think maybe you're being a little bit harsh on them I think they've made a really good start to the season I think actually, I know Gogler has got them playing there. Uh, I know we're on Arsenal podcast, so I can't be too too favourable to Spurs. But I think Postecoglou has got them playing a really good style of football. I do think they'll tail off just because their squad is a little bit thin in in certain areas. I think, you know, for example, if they get a defensive injury, I think they're a big trouble. But it'd be interesting to see how they handle Eve Basuma's suspension, for example, because he's been such a key player for them. But um, they seem to be chugging along quite nicely uh, at the top of the Premier League, and, and they seem to be ahead of schedule. And it's it's quite a weird thing from Arsenal perspective sort of looking across the, the other end of the Seven Sisters Road and 
and kind of seeing football is actually it's, it's, it's quite nice football they've, they've started pretty well and um, I don't think they'll be in and amongst it for the title race but I think they'll certainly be in and amongst it for the for the top four race this season It's a really good point on C actually you know, talking about their records because I remember as we came back on the train from Villa Park last season and we were with a load of Arsenal fans on the train that was the day that they dropped points against Nottingham Forest and I think it was a 1-1 draw Chris Wood scored really late to equalise and in that moment, there was a feeling of, wow, you know, they're, they're faltering, they're dropping points, they're slipping. And Arsenal have won in dramatic fashion at Villa. They didn't drop points in the league again until they'd won it. That, that's the reality of the situation. The next time they dropped points was a 1-1 draw with Brighton, which was following the Chelsea game. That Obviously, uh, they, it was basically a victory parade after Arsenal's ironic uh, loss of points at Forest, similar to them earlier in the season. So... Yeah, very true. I am very harsh on Spurs. It's in my nature. Uh, but I, I can't help but look at kind of the teams that they've played and we've played. They've been fortunate enough to face the bottom sides in Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton. Arsenal have played none of those sides so far. Arsenal have also played three of the big six already this so far this season. I know they came to Arsenal and, and got a good result, but I think that was probably the worst game that we've played all season. Uh, we didn't play particularly well. We gifted them. Uh, the chances they had with the the, the mistakes that we made, uh, I, I just feel as though that that's kind of a an elephant at the top of the tree type scenario that we might see come crashing. I'm sitting here with my fingers very crossed that we see come crumbling down very very soon. Um, before we come to the end of the show, there's obviously been some news surrounding Arsenal to discuss as well. Uh, transfer wise, the big name being talked about at the moment is, is Pedro Neto um, from Wolves. Arsenal said to have rekindled that interest that they had and you know we've known they've had for quite some time there was inquiries made in the summer but nothing really moved on from that uh, and we know that the summer before last there was also a very strong interest in Neto as well but then injuries to the player really did curtail Arsenal's interest in the following January window in which they tried to sign Mudrick and then followed it up with Trossard how do you feel about him as, as a profile that Arsenal could progress for in, in maybe the next January transfer win? Yeah, it, it's certainly a position where, where Arsenal are looking to strengthen the forward line, as we've reported on Football London many times. They're not necessarily in the market for an out-and-out number nine, although they are tracking Ivan Tony. Uh, they're, they're more in the market for a forward who can play across the front line, and Pedro Neto can play in all of those three positions, left wing, right wing, and as a false nine, as he's done that in the past. I think he's an excellent player. I really enjoyed watching him before he got that injury. Um, that all those series of injuries that really ruled him out for, for two years at, at Wolves, and they seem to have sort of curtailed his his career. But he's he's really come back since then, and he's been outstanding this season. He seems to have gained a yard of pace as well, which is making him an even more threatening player. He's he's direct. He's he's an excellent dribbler. He's very similar to to Gabriel Martinelli, I think. But he could play on that on that right hand side if needs be, and I think he'd be a superb addition to the Arsenal attacking line. I think he'd be great cover for Saka if needed I think he'd even put Saka for a sighting spot he could certainly push Martinelli and Trossard over on the other side and yeah I think he'd be a superb addition the only hiccup when worrying it comes to us is it a worrying thing yeah. um, I think they, were, they weren't necessarily the kind of injuries that strike me as a, a set of recurring injuries one was at a dislocated kneecap I think or an injured kneecap which sounds hideously painful but um, it's the kind of injury that you, if you're unless you're very unlucky Unless you're Abu Dhabi, probably you, you don't get more of those once more than one of those in the career. So, I think those are the kind of things that you, you can make a recovery from. And they're hopefully not the kind of injuries that leave a, a lasting mark. And given how he's been playing this season, they don't seem to be. 
So yeah, that would be my, I wouldn't have too much of a concern over the injuries, just given the type of injuries they are. It's, it's not like, for example, Atakira Tomyasu keeps picking up muscle injuries or the same with Zinchenko. I feel like Pedro Neto strikes me as a guy who hopefully will be able to maintain a level of fitness, providing that he doesn't get any more unfortunate impact injuries. Beyond that, um, the major concern for Arsenal is obviously the price tag. Neto does have four years left on his deal at Wolves. That makes things very difficult and they quite rightly would, would demand a, a sizable fee for a player who is very, very highly rated across the Premier League and, and prior to his injuries was tracked not just by Arsenal, but a, a number of sides in the Premier League. And I think their issue for Wolves is that they are obviously going through some, some financial difficulties. They had to sell a few players in the summer. Getting rid of Ruben Neves was a really, really big thing for them because they needed to bring some cash in and they're quite open to selling a few players. They obviously weren't able to spend that much money on buying players as well in the summer and, and when it comes to financial fair play they need to, to shift some players so maybe Arsenal can use that to their advantage but Arsenal themselves have spent quite a lot of money and you know we saw this with the David Raya deal they may be in a position where they're not able to make those huge financial commitments that they did over the summer where they spent over £200 million on Rice Timber and, and Havertz so I wonder if that'll be a case of timing. I wonder if maybe that'll be one that happens further down the line. I don't know if it will happen in January or if Arsenal will go for it in January. Obviously, I don't know the, the intricacies of the finances at Arsenal, but um, I think it's just a case of they really like the player. They'd love to have him at Arsenal, but whether they're able to get that deal over the line, I think for right now, at least, is another thing to get. I do do agree. Wolves' financial situation would be a slight uh, help, potentially, because they are still in need to to bring some money in um, and considering they spend so little on Neto when they signed him it would look very very good on their books um, to get a good fee for him uh, as well because they spent a lot on Nunez but they sold him for a lot but it wouldn't be the same with Neto and obviously they didn't spend anywhere close to the same similar amounts to, to Nunez so yeah let's let's wait and see on that one uh, I agree with you about the set of forward position I think Arsenal will be much better going after in January at least you know a player that's more versatile and can offer that competition especially when you've seen the impact of losing somebody like Saka um, it's a reality it can happen in, in the worst case scenario and Arsenal do have centre forward options we talked earlier on in the show about how Kai Havertz we both feel can be that option maybe for us uh, this season and then maybe assess centre forwards in either the summer or, or even further down the line but Neto is a player we both like uh, but let us know your thoughts listeners in the comments section if you could add anyone realistic to this squad in January leave your comments down below and your thoughts and feelings about everything that we've discussed in today's View from the Club in podcast. Kaya, thank you so much for your time. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you very much. Um, I keep an eye on football.london's website for all the stuff that's going on with the international break. I suppose that's a classic shout-out, isn't it? Um, I've got a little roundup of all the injury situation coming out hopefully very soon. Uh, a little piece on Nicola Jovair as well after his little scuffle with Erling Haaland, Grealish and, and Kyle Walker um last night talking points in last night's game as well if you want to revel even further in the in the joy of, of sunday night's win i think that's that, that I'd, I'd point you in that direction because i really enjoyed writing them and they're always fun when arsenal win big games so yeah go check those out and, and keep following us over the international break because we've got lots of good stuff coming up for you uh you can hear what gabriel martinelli uh told us after the game as well uh on the fl website there's a lot of opinion lines coming out of course the man city game as well some discussions about in-game management from Arteta, uh, the benefit of the international break and what it will bring to Arsenal as well as we've touched upon in today's podcast. But as Kaya said, keep your eyes peeled to the football.london 
website and uh, we'll be bringing you all the coverage and build-ups of that game against Chelsea next week. We hope to reconvene uh, soon as well to discuss anything from the international break next week. But leave your reviews, your comments, your thoughts uh, everywhere and anywhere that you can. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We're back very soon. Stay safe, stay well. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh, yeah.